Welcome to the Better You Podcast, a show about maintaining healthy habits, living well, and the people who do both in their personal and professional lives. David, thanks so much for joining us today on the Better You Podcast. Uh, it's great to be here, Sean. So good to see you again. And congrats again on your uh, your little one. Fun time. Thanks so much. Three months, time flies, man. Well, speaking of changes, I'd love to learn like what's new with you. Obviously, you've got a new role, new company. Tell me about it. I'd love to get caught up. Yeah, so it's really interesting. So you know, we're if you're in the health and wellness or behavior change industry, you're always looking for scale, right? How do you go big? And so, so Right Move Health spun out of the Hospital for Specialty Surgeries in New York City, number one ortho hospital in the world. Just a little plug for them, right? But basically, it's it's trying to solve this problem. Fifty percent of Americans have an, a musculoskeletal issue. You hurt, right? Everyone you ever hurt? Yeah. And the problem is it takes too long to figure out what's causing the pain and you don't know how to fix it effectively. So usually you go to primary care, you take some ice packs, right? You do this stuff. Well, what, what Right Move can do is in 30 to 45 minutes, we can do what we call first move triage. We have a highly trained PT, especially PT, and they can diagnose you in 45 minutes, which means you know in 45 minutes what's the matter and the best course of treatment. And then, of course, we'll provide services to help you get better and stay moving then as well. So it's a really interesting space. Why I love it, just so you just to put that on there for you, is, man, everybody has MSK issues. Everyone's hurt or going to get hurt, so it's ubiquitous. And when you think about behavior change and healthy habits, movement's foundational to health. Pain's a great anchor to try to get people to start new habits. So you can really, really get to a broad swath of people um, that is agnostic to employer or insurer, we're all brothers of the ACL, if you ever join your ACL, right? Brothers or sisters of the ACL injury market. So that's what I love about it. It brings me back. There's something in, in college, I used to play a lot more basketball. And there was one time I landed, my foot landed on somebody else's foot and my ankle just goes and I go, I've got a, a bad sprain. I've got a break. I got something, but finding ways to like actually triage. Okay. What is it? Cause I might think it's something and it could be completely the wrong thing. I've had that with my back before where it actually wasn't my back. It was like something closer yeah, to my shoulder yeah. that was the problem. And you're just going, man, finding ways to like isolate what is actually happening. Cause I think in some of those moments when you're sore, when you're achy, you're just feeling pain and you're just like, I, this needs to stop. I, yeah. I'm not thinking about where it's coming from. So find ways to kind of diagnose or triage it. That That's cool. But it really impacts your life too. Like you know, beyond, beyond all the healthcare stuff, I think it's 40% of uh, musculoskeletal treatments avoidable, right? So it's a huge spend. But beyond that, just think about it. You got a little kid, right? So your back hurts. You know, now yep. you can't pick them up, right? Or you right. got grandma who wants to stay with like my mom, who I talk about a lot. You know, my mom just had a stroke. So like she, she can't walk very well right now. So like, the quality of life. So what can you do just to keep people living the best version of their life? And to me, that's what it's all about. How do you help the most possible people? And this seemed like a really interesting uh, opportunity to do that in kind of a different way. We could not be more aligned. I talk about helping the most possible people all the time. You know, how did you find yourself on this path, this journey into wellness and well-being? Obviously, we've interacted a bunch in the past. How did you kind of find yourself and when did you know this was the road you wanted to be walking? I wish I wrote down the date when it happened. So, so I, went to, I went to grad school at NYU and it was like this hybrid program for like uh, physical education, exercise physiology, some, some therapeutic exercise. It was like this wonky little program in the School of Health, Education, Nursing and Arts Professions. It doesn't exist anymore, but that's the, the program. But I was working at American Express and World Trade Two at the time doing some uh, executive fitness stuff. And there was this guy who was this crotchety freaking bank exec. And he always walked on the treadmill, like this really high angle. And he was like cranky as hell. And I, I like talking to people. So I go and talk to me like, rah, rah, rah. so it's funny. I said, Hey man, why don't you ever run? You're walking so fast. And he said, oh, my knee hurts. 
And I said, well, let's see if we can help you. So I, I worked with him over about six weeks, just doing some simple stuff, and he was able to run. And the transformation in him was amazing, but I felt it inside, like, I don't know, like a, it was like a fire firework got lit off inside of me. It just felt so great. And I said, I want to do more of that. And so if I look think about my career, everything's been really, how do you how do you try to learn more to help more people in different ways? It's just been an extension of that. One of the maxims that we've embraced at Better You is how do you help people do what they already want to do? And I, I love that that moment you've got of that that shine when you're helping somebody. I don't know if there's a feeling in this earth that beats it, man. That's so great. The hard part is, and I don't know if you see this as you guys get bigger, is you know, when, when you're closer to it, you get to actually feel it every day, right? But, but when you're in the weeds, right, you're out there and you're like administering and designing, you're like six degrees or eight, 12 degrees separation away. Sometimes you're like, oh man, I'm just kind of in the slog now. Am I really doing any good? Taking a bath and that sometimes is kind of helpful. You know, it's funny. I think when my daughter gets older, they have the, you know, what my, what I think I do, what my parents think I do, what my, well, my daughter, she's going to think that I just do emails all day. And what I think I do is, you know, going to be out there helping people, but it's probably going to be closer to administering programs that help people. Right. So still a few layers removed, but try to stay as close to it as possible. I've got a quote. This is something you've said, and I want you to unpack it because I, I really like it. There's a lot of cool elements in it. It's rather than going from zero to vegan in 60 seconds, why don't we start going from eight sodas a day to seven and a half? Talk to me about that because I think that it encompasses so many things, so many different elements about health and well-being. Yeah, there's probably three major components to that. First is the first part of that, zero to vegan. It's, it's my perspective and what I've seen is almost everybody wants to be better in some aspect of their life. You know? And it doesn't have to be dramatic, but they want to be better. And so, so when you think about the expert model that we've created, whether it's in education, you know, or in health and wellness in particular, though, usually we're looking at like the extremes, you know, like how many times have you had a discussion with somebody around nutrition and it turns into a discussion around how much zinc you're getting in your diet, right? Well, well, no one gives a crap about how much zinc you're getting if you're eating, if you're drinking eight sodas and eating, you know, KFC, I love KFC, no offense, but eat, eating fried food and and bad and, and more, uh, not, not the best stuff all day long, right? So, so the point of that is we always take people and try to move them so quickly through zero to vegan. You got a six week program. That's the other thing that drives me crazy. We always define a timeline because I'm the administrator and I think eight weeks is great and it's going to start on a Wednesday. Everyone in the world should join me on that. That's not how the world works, right? You can't do that. You got to stop forcing people to go at your pace. They need to go at their pace. And it's so much deeper than that because probably the thing I learned most over the last 12 years is. Shame and guilt are the biggest barriers to someone making the changes they want. And we unintentionally deliver that when we have someone in that expert relationship. Because all of us are still in first grade, going home to mom or dad with the F on the paper instead of the gold star. And whether that's, whether that's a nutritionist, a doctor, your boss, every time we create that pass-fail response, it creates this failure feeling in the person. And they don't want to deal with that. We want to be away from it. I think you're absolutely right. It's funny. A lot of those programs, the six-week programs, it kind of reminds me of, you know, sometimes they have things like around learning a language and those always sound to be the same way. It sounds like I'm going to become fluent in six weeks. I'm going to get a job teaching French somewhere like the month after that. It's just way too fast. I feel like I've set myself up for failure and that's not the feeling we want to help people drive behavior change. So then the second part of that is what's the opposite of that and why? First of all, most people are really freaking smart. They navigate life, this complicated life, and they know what's better or not, right? So, but they want someone to see them, hear them, and then give them the permission to just start small. Because, so I'm a big believer in self-efficacy. Uh, I, I think you can't make a change unless you think you can. You can be motivated, 
But you've got to believe, right? And most people need some proof points early to believe, to get some momentum. And so I love the idea of just saying, where are you today? And just move incrementally better. That's so like when I was at Walmart, we had a lot of people drinking seven, eight sodas a day, you know, or you know, just say, just drink seven and a half, just one little step. And it just builds confidence for someone. And that's the problem with New Year's resolutions, right? Or anything else. We make these big promises to ourselves and then we break them. And now we're worried about our own integrity. And so if you create this small kind of safe, failure-free steps, non-judgmental, it helps a person feels more confident and they actually uh, like themselves better as a result of that. And there's so much I think companies can do in that vein as well. I, I'm reminded of one of LinkedIn's old wellness programs, right? Where they took the soda and they still offered soda, but they made it slightly less accessible, yeah. made it more difficult yeah. to pick the soda every single yeah. time. Let's move it behind the juice yeah. or behind the water yeah. options. Yeah. And even that little thing, which feels small, yeah. can have big impact when it comes to behavior. Oh, absolutely. A little the friction, any kind of little friction. But the big thing is don't judge people, right? Because people just get tired of being judged. That's, that, that's the zero to vegan part that's kind of the hidden piece yes. in there. Is everybody feels judged. In the world we live in today, it's so divisive. You just feel like you can't do anything. And if you make one mistake, you're, you're, you're done for life. So, so we're trying to create a, a much more positive, um, supportive environment. I think that's directly related to one of the other pieces that I think we've chatted about in the past. You know, this idea of people follow people, not information. When you think about that, you know, why is it important to inspire people from that human perspective when you're thinking about driving new behavior? Yeah, I mean, so, so when you think about the education model, it's great. I mean, you have to have some base in science. But, but if that's all it took, if we were rational people, then, then we'd all be great, right? But, but we're not. We know from the literature, from the behavior change world, from psychology, we are emotional creatures. We are not rational creatures, right? So, so we make emotional decisions and rationalize them, not the other way around, you know? So, so that's, that's what's going into part of that, you know? But the other part then is that we are kind of smart too. So when I turn on TV and I see the celebrity who's all cut and the, you know, they're like, you, you've got a little one at home, right? So now you're, you and your wife turn on TV and someone says, well, I got in the best shape of my life. My kid's only six weeks old because, you know, you're like, and how'd you do that? They go, well, I ate better and exercise. Like now you had a chef and a nanny and a private jet and, uh, you know, you got a bunch of people around you to take care of you. We all can sniff that out. Right. So, and so I think that what I love most about, um, peer influence is I want people just like me or, or similar to me who have been successful because they know the real story. Right. So I like to, I like to say there's three components to success in this place. It's authenticity, which is more important than ever because you can't hide in the world of social media anymore. You can't fake it. You've got to be who you are. So authenticity, relevancy, you know, don't tell someone in Minnesota to go walk 40 minutes outside. It's five in the morning in January, right? It's just tone deaf, right? Or, you know, you know, relevancy, authenticity, and then trust. And, and trust is earned. It's not bestowed. So when you can try to deliver those three things, which I think we do from other people versus from some scientific journal, then then we're more likely to actually adopt the behavior and begin to experiment ourselves. You know, one of the things I think about oftentimes, if information was enough, my wife and I would not have the tub of ice cream in the freezer, right? Like we would know, we know at, you know, two in the morning or whatever, that's a bad idea. But is it there? Yes, it's there. And so it's like, how can we work around that? How do we make smaller changes? Uh, have a healthier option there instead of instead of the the high you know sugar ice cream maybe it's a lower or, option or just decide or, that it's okay once in a while right I mean it, it, you know, it doesn't, we, don't, we don't have to live zero to vegan we don't become vegan if we don't want to right perfection is not a lifestyle is another thing I like to hear sometimes and you, you can't you can't make it perfect I think about that in the work we do at Better Use so much of it is about helping people find time for different health activities yeah. but one of the quotes that I'm really fond of is the time that we intend to waste 
is not the same as wasted time, right? So give yourself permission to take a break and go for Instagram for 20 minutes. Yeah. As long as you're you're planning it and it's in moderation and you don't wake up, you know, two hours later going, what happened? That's okay. I, I love that call out. But it's almost like you got to wake up a little bit. The world we live in right now, we're all on the receiving end of everyone else's algorithm. What I love about what you guys do is you're like, no, I'm going to hack that algorithm and put you in control of it a little bit, right? So, so if we could create a way that all of us were in control of that algorithm, right? So we were... We weren't, we weren't sucked down the rabbit hole, right? That we actually were intentional about That's That'd be a super great way to help people achieve more of what they want to because it's a lot of it's about focusing your attention about the things you want to accomplish. One of the dilemmas I have thinking about this idea that information isn't kind of the end-all be-all is I do want other people to get knowledgeable about you know, the science of behavior and what are the ingredients and how can I use them in my life? I'm wondering, have you thought about that at all? And terms of how you take this idea of, you know, people follow people. And is there a, is there a lens or a, a way that that leads back to educating more folks around behavior? So, so there's like a story arc, right? So the story arc that people, at least not everyone, because it's pockets, but a lot of people go through, especially folks who are, are kind of more on the disenfranchised side. They're, they're, they, they have a long way to go. They've had really hard stuff to deal with. The, for, the first thing is, they're looking for fast results, which don't be, you can't promise them, right? But, but this is the problem where there's a little, there's a sense of, of learned hopelessness sometimes. If you talk to people that are uh, um, uh, serial dieters, morbidly obese, um, struggling with uh, lower socioeconomic issues, like all the barriers are against them. There's a sense of learned hopelessness that they can't succeed. So, so they don't really care about the science. They just want to know, can I, is anything going to matter? So that's where the the peer-to-peer uh, -peer influence and the inspiration helps ignite them to get started. I used to say, like, if, if there's here's the life I'm living today, and then there's a, there's a little river of stuff that's in the way, right? Polluted river, and on the other side, the start of the world I want to live in. We just got to build that first little bridge, right? So I find that stories and peer influence and inspiration help people get started. Now, once they get started and they walk a few feet on the other side of that bridge. Then they start to get a little confident and they go, well, how can I go faster? And then there's a moment when they start to want to consume knowledge to become much more knowledgeable about it. And then eventually they become experts to help other people. But that's kind of the arc. To me, the heart, we always focus on the knowledge part when they're not ready for it. We got to get them started and primed. And then they're ready to learn more over time. And I think it definitely relates back to the point you made earlier where people are emotional, right? And the thing about story, the thing about peers is those drive emotions, right? I think about the stories that stuck with me from when I was a kid or when I was growing up, it's things that made me feel a certain way. And so leading with that, then you can bring in the knowledge afterwards. Are there any examples in your own kind of personal health journey, maybe it's through running or, or elsewhere, where you've kind of felt that emotional appeal first before kind of making a change on the behavior side? Now you're going to make me self-reflective. I got to think about that one. Um I'm pretty boring, actually. I'm trying to think. I think probably, the, probably the worst habit that I had was I used to chew tobacco, you know. So, like, you know, I went to high school in Northern Virginia, played football. We all chewed tobacco, right? So, so quitting tobacco was like a thing, right? Like, that was like a – you got the addiction of the nicotine and all that. That probably was as much an emotional thing as when my kids were little, right? And I was like, let's get done with this. And so really understanding that there's a feeling you wanted that you didn't like. That was more of a negative feeling than an inspiration feeling. I was like, I just don't want to deal with this anymore, right? And, and so it was more that. I was in the same boat. So in high school, I would buy a 12-pack of the little cans of Coca-Cola on Monday, and by Wednesday, they were gone. And I'm an only child. So like it was me. There's, there was no other figure pointing to go around. I was doing this. And then you'd feel, I'd feel very hyped up, jittery, all these things. 
and that emotion of, I don't think I want to feel this way. And what, what it kind of made me realize is I need to find a way to, to go from eight to seven in, in your, in your model. And that's kind of what I did. Instead of buying 12 packs, we would buy like, uh, like a, the little 16 ounce, like buy two of those instead. Now I can't even consume that much in that short amount of time. And then eventually I, you know, made it to today. I haven't, you know, had a soda or a pop, depending on where you are in the world, uh, for, for a few years. Right. And like, that's been a, a change that I had to adjust, but it was all stemmed from that feeling. And I think it was a negative, a kind of not liking a negative emotion kind of to your point. Well, you know, now that you say that, that there probably was a little bit of inspiration of watching other people like my age, you know, at the time, little kids, very stressful time anyway, like, you know, you know, and, and just, just feeling, watching them be more free than feeling like you were like going to go in the corner somewhere and do something that no one cared about. Probably how smokers feel when they have to go outside, right? Like, well, I'm going to pause my life and go over here while they're all having fun over there. So never been an element of that that was at play there. I don't have to think back that far. So I definitely have seen it in other people though. And that's where it's most rewarding. I guess thinking about that emotion side in your roles, you know, you've, you've had the opportunity to kind of bring health and well-being to the forefront at, you know, places like Walmart or Yum Brands. How do you find a voice in those different organizations or across companies that appeals to that emotion for the different, you know, employees and team members you're working to help and reach? The, the first part of that is in big organizations, there's always politics to navigate. Learning influence skills and trying to understand corporate politics is really important because you have to, you have to find a way to get permission, or if not permission, at least you don't get blocked. You know, sometimes if they don't say no, that's all you need, right? Just give me, as old Gail Sayers saying, give me six inches of daylight, you know, or something like that. So, you know. <laughs> but um, so, so there's that piece to navigate. We are, we are more alike than different. I mean, our differences matter deeply, but as, as a species, we are more alike than different. The, the things that drive us emotionally, the things that we care about, the things that we desire as humans is, is very universal. And so you know, if we can appeal to the core humanity of someone, then it doesn't really matter whether you're working for KFC in Manchester, the UK, or whether you're in India working for Taco Bell, or whether you're working for Walmart in California, or you know Salesforce and, and wherever. Right? It doesn't matter. But but finding that voice is important. And I'd say the single biggest thing that that I learned at Yum Brands actually was stop talking about the company and start talking about the person. So, and that's when people began to really, at least for me, they started to really authentically engage. And what I mean by that is, you know, so many times companies want to say, hey, hey, Sean, we're like, we're, we're doing this program because we love you, you know, and, and we think you're the greatest thing ever. So we want you to do that. But you're going, here's something else the company wants me to do. It's just another task. Doesn't matter because remember we're emotional, so you're processing like uh, my boss. Doesn't matter if you're, whether you love your boss, hate your boss. You're going. My bosses tell me to do something else. If you spin that and say, like when I went to the Walmart stores at first, I'd say, hey, what, uh, you know, you're the you're the one that most matters most in the world, and you take this or leave it. This is for you. And they go, well, what do you get out of it? And I go, well, if you feel better, yeah, you'll probably treat the customer better. But frankly, I don't get a damn thing out of it. Right. So. Make it about them. And then, then, then it comes across, and it, but it changes the way you communicate. That was the biggest unlock for me. How can a well-being leader at a company think to start getting those stories and making it about individuals in the company versus about the company itself? Are there some bite-sized you know, tips that you've seen really be effective in people doing that? I'll give you some, uh, some, some ways. So one, one is you got to have a great partner in communications, right? Because internal columns, that 
you have to have someone who helps you get that. I had a, I had a great internal conversation at Young Brands who really helped us craft that for you and your family type messaging, right? Just you, know, you went at home and at work, right? But leave at home, not at work. So just that framing is subtle, but that begins to create some permission space. Um, then the second play is usually around branding, right? Depending on your organization, you got to break through the clutter. You want to be a little bit differently. So again, your comms team and your internal people, making sure they understand how to, you're trying to break through the clutter a little bit differently just to create to the noise. So those would be the, the big things there. And then listen, Sam Walton said all the answers are in the store. Uh, David Novak said, go, go talk to the guys. Okay, go, go talk to the guys on the front line. So I spent a lot of time um, just going out and visiting and listening to people, but not in a formal way. You can't do it formally. That's my biggest tip. Like when I started at Walmart, I was still living in Kentucky. I had moved to Bentonville. And so my title was going to be a senior director. And so uh, titles matter places, right? But I said, you know what? I don't want anybody to know my title. So I would, I found a bunch of stores in central Kentucky because I just wanted to go into stores and talk to people. I said, hey, I'm going to be starting down. I'm going to move into Northwest Arkansas. Do you mind if I just come spend the day in your store? And they go, well, no. Well, who are you? And I'm like, oh, yeah, Dave, I'm just starting with the company. So I would go in and I would just literally sit in the break room, drink a lot of coffee, <laughs> drink <laughs> coffee and just sit there. And they'd come in and look at you. And over time, they'd start talking to you. And I'd spend days in a store just talking to people, you know, and never said my title at all, you know, uh, because you're a person. Usually when you come in from corporate, it's like a, it, that's actually a pain in the butt for people in the field, right? They're like, I got to put on a show, right? The boss is coming. Oh my God. So, so more you can come in as like a real person and just listen and try to relate as a human being, you know, just be a person is something I'd say a lot of people I work with, just be a person and don't be a role. Don't be this, just be a person. That's probably the biggest thing. Just listen. Didn't people ever wonder why you were spending so much time in the break room? Yeah. Well, they, they, they come in the first time and they'd be looking at, they'd be sitting at their tables. They look at you funny and say, Hey, I go and talk to them. Hey, how's it going? You know, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm getting ready to start with the company. And I'm just trying to figure out before I go down there, like, what's it really like? You know, like, like what's good or what should they worry about? And they go, uh-huh. And they, they wouldn't trust you. But after a couple of hours, you know, I'm not the most intimidating guy in the world, right? So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so then just have a conversation and just be real with them. And they're like, okay. And they tell you all kinds of amazing, amazing stuff. So Awesome. Just showing up saying, hey, I'm new. I'm, I'm here to learn. Like, well, I want to hang out and hear from y'all what's going well, what we can do better. Being open. I think that's, that's a cool story. You know, it reminds me of something we do in the research world a little bit where you don't want to be observing the process as a researcher, right? Like observing the process can change the process. If I was in a room with people who were beta testing the new version of our app, I'd get very different responses than if I wasn't in the room as the founder, right? You know, we want to hear what people really have to think. And sometimes you got to give them a, a safe environment to do just that. I have a lot of conversations about focus groups. I think I think I worry about focus groups doing that. Like I was always just a big fan of first party research. Like whether it was, I mean, I couldn't do that forever. So we did some work on a financial insecurity, and we uh, we hired some folks and we sent like forty people out to interview like six hundred associates, and they literally would just walk through the store with a notebook. Hey, you have five minutes, versus you know some kind of formal process where you just feel like they're telling you what you want to hear. Nothing gets changed if all you hear is the rainbows and sunshine. That's for sure. Exactly. I love rainbows and butterflies, but you know, it's the world's not all rainbows and butterflies. Thinking about kind of today's environment, one of the things we hear about at Better You a lot is burnout. Burnout's a big issue. It's on a lot of people's mind. It's this huge topic. What are some of the changes you're seeing in terms of how people are discussing burnout and stress, even the last four years here? What are some of those changes and some of the effective ways you're seeing companies kind of tackle some of those problems head on? Yes. I mean, so first of all, before I came to Right Move and after I left Walmart, I was at Thrive Global, which Ariane Huffington mounted. And kudos to her for being one of the first people to really be raising the klaxon around the burnout epidemic globally. And 
just does a great job pointing out that it was there before the pandemic and it's even even bigger now, right? So so I think awareness is at an all-time high. I mean, before, even if you look at like studies from Aon or other groups, pre-pandemic, mental health burnout was nowhere on the radar of any CHRO. Nobody in the C-suite cared, right? Um, uh, maybe they care, but not not overtly. You know, and now it is one of the top one to three things every C-suite knows. So first of all, just the awareness itself. So so that's a big deal. I think that the what I worry about is that we won't deliver the right kind of solutions that deliver meaningful results, and then we'll lose a window, right? Uh, you know, I think that's that scares me a little bit. So what I mean by that is I think we're on an evolution. And this is my opinion. So so you know we we went through some point solution work. Like I, like one of the things I love about what you do is you're really getting into the into someone's daily life to really change their daily routine. So, so the our ability to get in where people are all the time is long-term the solution. I mentioned earlier, what, are the, what is the later algorithm, right? But, but our systems aren't there yet. I mean, the systems don't, don't exist yet for that to happen. So let me give you my dream, a dream scenario I have. If I, if I worked for a big company again, I'd love it if my boss and I could agree on my top two or three priorities. And then my, that got integrated into my calendar somehow. And my calendar knew that I'm a better thinker in the morning because I told it. And so it always made sure I had time in the morning to focus on my top priorities. And when I got that wonky email invite from somebody else to do four meetings in a row, it said, eh, not going to happen. So, so it was automatically configuring my workday to help me be most successful versus me having to try to find the way to do that and battling the environment itself. So that's where I think we're going to get to. It'll be more systemic, but there's going to be some rocky periods in between because there's still the old, what I'll call the old guard, which is probably me, but the old guard, where everybody's just really wanting to crank out profit, irregardless of the impact on humans. I think long-term, we're going to understand people are more productive, you're more profitable, they'll, be, they'll feel better if you just treat them in a certain way. What's good for humans is good for business. That's the moral of that story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's funny. I think about that same piece, David, right? Of, you know, we live in a world today where time gets optimized, but it doesn't always get optimized for us by the things we care about. And and why not? I mean, if if Facebook can optimize my feed so that I see certain things to increase time on page, why couldn't my calendar optimize my day to be more productive or or some of the work that we do, right? Is optimizing my day to call my my mom a little more, make that a little more likely. Like that's a definitely a C as a paradigm that we're in. And I, I think it's a good call, right? We have this window, we have this awareness, and we don't want to kind of waste it by providing solutions that are mismatched or not quite seeing things. The industry, it seems, in the world of health has consolidated and gone apart a couple times. And it, it's hard to know exactly where we are in that cycle of things. As you see the industry making those macro changes, what does it mean for you know people who are trying to drive behavior at the front on the front lines with people who have real problems? How can they stay in tune with it, or are there things they should be paying attention to? Yeah, well, so, so there, there's two pieces. There. There's a the market, and then who you're trying to help, right? So the, the market is the market, right? So so like uh, it's interesting. If, if what I see right now is we went through a period of wild spending and purchasing and the benefits shop during the pandemic because we had to. No one knew what the heck to do, so we're just buying stuff. So now you're seeing that consolidation point solution fatigue, a little more best in class versus individual point solutions. How do you, but, but regardless, whether it's the consumer or whether it's the benefit, the, the business, the biggest thing we've never solved for at scale is engagement, right? How do you actually get people to do something? So, so to, in my mind, the more we can focus on authentic engagement, the better, whether that's in a centralized market, best in class market, whether you're working for a supplier, whether you're working for the employer, 
you're, what we're trying to do, like we use all the fancy words, like I want to do applied behavior change of scale. I believe it's ludogenesis, whatever the heck it is, right? But the other, I want to get someone to do something different they're not doing today, right? That's really, so if we can get people to do that and just focus our attention on that and not get distracted, then we'll win regardless of the macro environment. Because, you know, best idea wins in the long run. It's another way of starting small, right? Rather than worry about things that are outside of my scope of control that I can't really impact as easily. Instead of going from eight cokes a day to zero, I'm going to seven, right? I'm focusing on these smaller pieces I can I can control. But it's also being intentional about it, Sean. I mean, it's, it's, a little, it's a little more than that. Like as a practitioner, I mean, think about your job, right? Or think about my role yeah. when I've been in corporate America. Or even today, yeah. Like you're wearing five hats, right? Like when you really think about it, what did we say? We said, I got into this to help people, right? But but you get all this inertia in the way that, that we make these trade-offs. So I live in Kentucky. We have a saying that someone told me one time I love, which is, do you know what a camel is? It's a thoroughbred by, by committee. So you ever seen a beautiful thoroughbred horse and you had a committee go and make a camel. Camels are fine, but they're not, the, they're not as pretty as a thoroughbred horse, right? So, so that's what happens to us. And you come and I want to help someone find more time in their life. so They can do the things they want. And then suddenly get all these other people and priorities and pressures. And then the, the window, it sounds so simple. And everything, that threading that needle becomes harder and harder because all the inertia is trying to rip you away from that just little by little. And like any... Any journey, it's a long way away. If you're off by a couple of degrees to start, by the time you get there, you miss by a lot, right? So I think being really intentional and staying focused on the outcome versus thinking about it as small steps, you got to know where you're going. And know you can you can stay within the guardrails. But the biggest compliment I got at Walmart was I was saying the same thing when I left as when I started. And we were in the same guardrails and delivering the same things we said we were for the boring nine years. But at least it never changed, right? And we did what we said we were going to do. But you, you had to change how you got about a little bit. So just, I just wanted to push on that a little bit. I think it's really important to be really clear on the mission. Yeah, the, uh, you know, having that vision, making sure you're staying the course, one foot in front of the other, kind of getting to that progress piece. I think for us is, you know, when we're building product or thinking about new wellness initiatives and ideas, oftentimes we start with the vision. Then we talk to individuals who have those same pain points and problems and while that'll inform the vision, that's that's kind of that calibration. Okay, we might move a couple degrees here, but we're still going the same direction. It's it's the land is that way, and we are we are you know rowing our kayak or our canoe. In Minnesota, we have a lot of canoes, so we'll go with that one. And that's how we get there exactly. Yeah, right move. One of the things I like most about uh, right move right now is the, the I know the leadership team pretty well, so uh, so there's like four or five of us right now. But one of the things that we all agreed on early on was mission first, right? Every decision we make, everything we should do to achieve that mission, you know, like, so, so to me, that kind of orientation anchors a team and helps everybody stay really consistent. So regardless of whether you're in the benefits shop or you're on the supplier side, if your team's anchored around a mission, then you're going to be okay. Well, David, this has been an awesome time. I've had a blast. We have three last questions. There are final three questions that we ask everybody. And the first one is, what does wellness mean to you? For me, it is, okay, I, I, it evolves every day, right? But here's how I answer it. it. It's not about physical health. It's not about mental health. It's, a, it's not necessarily about being happy, right? There's, there's a, uh, uh, I heard this just yesterday. Shia LaBeouf said, gave an interview and he said, he thinks it's just being useful, right? So I think being useful to help other people, right? I think that should be, to me, that's what that is. And for me, that's going to be like, so I can feel my best and do my best and, you know, that. That covers so much, right? If I'm doing good work and being useful in service of others, I accrete value back. And then all the other stuff just helps me do that. So that's how I'd answer that. What's one simple tip you'd have for someone looking to improve their wellness? 
Start small and know your why and be intentional. So it's really just start small, start small. I think that's such a huge one, right? I, I the, the analogy that I've often heard is it's like falling, right? If I have a really big goal and I don't do it, it's like me as an adult falling over versus when you ever see a, a little kid who takes a tumble, they're right back up. They're at it. Doesn't even stop them. A little aside, just for you, like, uh, you probably have seminal moments in your life. Like when I was in grad school, I was growing up, I was like one of those kids, really hard on yourself. You probably like, you're like, oh, you make for a sure. mistake. It's like, you know, I'm raised Catholic, so we love doing the guilt thing, right? It's like, you know, you know, you're awful, right? And so but I remember being in a class uh, in NYU studying Han Selye, if you've studied Han Selye before, and the stress response, right? And, and okay. basically, there is a line in some of the stuff that came out with one of the professors used, and she said, Dr. Emily Wilkalter, she said, um, you're a fallible human being. And for whatever reason, that just like hit me like a bullseye, right? And so that, that, that's the other part. Give yourself a little grace, right? So, you know, you know, yeah, you're trying to change something, you know, okay, you're, you're doing your best. Start small, keep plugging away, but no, you're, you're a fallible human being. Give yourself a little grace, right? So goes back to what you said earlier, right? Perfection isn't the goal. <laughs> Where can people follow you to keep up with what you're up to and, and learn more? Yeah, mostly on LinkedIn, right? So I, I, I uh, haven't weighed into a lot of the other places much. I'm more of a stalker on those. You know, like I, I have my, my Snapchat that I don't do much with except talk to my daughters, right? Or, you know, the, the TikTokers or the other stuff. But LinkedIn's probably the best way. You know, frankly, just freaking email me. I, I'm not, I don't hide very much. I think you know that. So I'm, I'm always available to folks that have questions. Happy to, happy to do that too. Awesome. Well, David, thanks so much for stopping by the podcast. This is a ton of fun. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Better You Podcast. If you're interested in continuing your journey to improve health and wellness, learn more at betteryou.ai.